Okay, warriors, you are listening to Unqualified Therapists. Remember, stay wild and weird. Hey, warriors, this is Amy. And I'm Sarah. We are the hosts of The Unqualified Therapist. We are not here to give you advice. We are here to tell you our stories, share your stories, and bring on the professionals from time to time. Mental health is complicated, and we know that from our personal experience. We believe in professional therapy. Both Sarah and I use that on our own healing journeys. But we also know it isn't one size fits all. The stigma surrounding mental illness can make us feel alone. We are not alone. You are not alone. And you're listening to The Unqualified Therapist Zinc. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of The Unqualified Therapist. Um, You've got nothing. I've got nothing. I have to start. Okay. Guys, send me some noises I can make. Oh, that sounded gross. Never mind. Scratch that. <laughs> hey, at least you know that this episode's already more lively than our origin story. Oh, everything is more lively than our origin story. Paint drying is more lively than our origin story. So embarrassed. Thinking about it, I like want to cover my face. <laughs> I know. I know we shouldn't be. I'm sure we're making a lot bigger deal of it than it actually is. But I was sad to know that our once aspiring career to be audible readers has now gone down the drain. <laughs> Wait, if they need us to read a phone book or a dictionary, we're your women. We got that. We've got it. Yeah, we're definitely better off script. That's why we only outline people. <laughs> we were following the advice. It was, it wasn't like of our own doing. <laughs> Take ownership, Amy. Okay. <laughs> it is May, everyone. Mental Health Awareness Month. Obviously, every month is that for us, but this is at least one where we can get some traction in the news and people are talking about it more. And so we thought that we would bring you some more information since we've shared so many amazing stories with you. Now we want to kind of back it up with some information for you to have some facts and knowledge behind different mental illnesses. Yeah, so we have brought in a, an expert. You guys have heard from her before. We have Dr. Katie Stewart with us today, and she's going to be with us all month long. And um, we hope you love her because we're not getting rid of her anytime soon. We're going to have her jumping on with us quite often because she's a wealth of knowledge and we just love that she's, you know, kind of like us. She's a little bit silly and quirky and fun and, you know, fits right in. Yes. So we are so excited to have Dr. Katie Stewart and she is what we like to call where the qualified meets the unqualified. <laughs> That's our segment titles. If you wondered, it's very creative. 
Yes, very, very creative. Mm -hmm. um, so what we love about Dr. Stewart, or as she prefers to be called, Katie, is that um, she knows that human beings need to be seen. We need to be heard. We need to have a sense of connection and we need to have a sense of belonging. So she is um, an excellent person to bring that. She has her own private practice for psychology. She is a doctor of psychology and we are very lucky to have her with us today. So today we're diving into anxiety and depression the bread and butter, as she puts it, of psychology. <laughs> this is the one where you will realize you are not alone. There are, what did she say, 40 million? Yeah, that's humans? like a staggering statistic. Yeah, um, or as my therapist said when I told her that, she was like, you mean everyone. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> just whether or not so, you want to admit it. <laughs> right, so we are going to dive into what exactly is anxiety and depression and what are some ways to get treatment and how to kind of stop the stigma. Believe it or not, there's still stigma around those two very basic mental health issues. If you have any questions for her, she's going to be with us all month. So please feel free to go ahead and leave us a voicemail. You can go to www.unqualifiedtherapists.com com. There's a little pink microphone. You click on that microphone and you can leave us a voicemail. Ask her a question, ask us a question, or just tell us whatever you're thinking or doing. We just want to hear from you. We love you guys. We love voicemail. So send them on over. Enjoy the episode. Today, we're welcoming back Dr. Katie Stewart as part of our Mental Health Awareness Month. And we're going to be talking to her all month. So buckle up and get ready because she has so much great, amazing energy and knowledge. And I'm just super excited for this. And today we're going to be diving into anxiety and depression. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, <laughs> my favorite. <laughs> that sounds funny. If you can have a favorite, it's this one. Well, my favorite, yeah. mental illness. Yeah. If I could say my favorites, my bread and butter. How horrible does that sound? Yeah, right? <laughs> I mean, truly, this is, this is the stuff that I see all day, every day. Right, right. So with that being said, I mean, yeah. that's such a great place to kind of start off. Can you tell us a little bit about, and I know we're saying anxiety and depression, but we are going to kind of break these down. What right. do you think, is there like a chicken and egg situation here? Oh gosh. Yes. And that's actually exactly right. I always think of anxiety and depression as like siblings or maybe yeah. super close cousins who spend a <laughs> lot of time together somewhere from there to like Siamese twins. It, it's oh just, my gosh. <laughs> but I'm glad we're laughing already because obviously these are not laughing matters, but I also think that being able to find some humor in our struggles is yes. very, very important, but truly I would say it is very rare to see somebody with an anxiety disorder who doesn't also have some elements of depression and vice hmm. versa. I actually, oh, wow. I wanted, interesting. Yeah. I wanted to look it up because I knew that there were a bunch of studies on it. And from the multiple studies I've looked at, if you have a depressive disorder, it's anywhere from a 50% to an 85% chance or 50 to 85% of people with a depressive disorder also have an anxiety disorder. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> I guess we're in good company. I there. guess so. Yes. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, that's the other thing is anxiety and depression 
are affecting millions and millions and millions of people worldwide. Anxiety in particular, number one mental illness in the US. Wow. It's affecting, now these are pre-pandemic numbers too. So I think the last thing I looked at was anxiety disorders. Oh shit. <laughs> yes, yeah, I mean, so right now just assume everybody has mm -hmm. some sort of anxiety and, and some depression, but 40 million people in the US 18 and older had a diagnosable anxiety disorder. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it, it makes sense. Yeah. It, yes. My mom always says, if you're paying attention, how do you not have anxiety or depression? And, and on one hand, sure. I agree. On the other hand, I think that can minimize, um, I don't want to say true anxiety, but, but meeting criteria, we'll say, for yes. an anxiety disorder or a depressive disorder according to our standards that we use in the U.S. Can we go over the criteria for anxiety? Absolutely. So I think one thing to consider for both is when we are talking about a disorder, we have to have distress and then some sort of impairment or disability or dysfunction from how this person usually functions or there's a danger of that happening. And we'll probably talk more about how that one comes in in another part of the series when we talk about bipolar disorder. But those are the things we have to keep in mind. So if we look at, let's say, generalized anxiety disorder first, because that's one of our most common. And is that, is that, yeah, is that the most common anxiety disorder, generalized anxiety yes. disorder? So we could okay. say generalized anxiety disorder, panic disorder, um, okay. social phobia, and specific phobia would be our biggest okay. ones. But most people I see, it's generalized anxiety disorder. So first criteria, excessive anxiety and worry or apprehensive expectation. And now this is where we get really nitpicky. Occurring more days than not for at least six months about a number of events or activities. So it has to go across domains. Otherwise, we've got a specific phobia. So next is the individual finds it difficult to control the worry. Next is the anxiety and worry are associated with three or more of the following six symptoms with at least some symptoms having been present for more days than not for the past six months. So of these, we've got restlessness or feeling keyed up or on edge, being easily fatigued, difficulty concentrating or your mind going blank, irritability, muscle tension, sleep disturbance. So we need, how many of those did I say? We need three of those. <laughs> then anxiety, worry, or physical symptoms cause clinically significant, here's what we talked about, distress or impairment. This disturbance is not attributable to the physiological effects of a substance or another medical condition. And basically it's not better explained by one of those things. So if you think about it, it can look kind of different. If we don't have the restlessness, that looks less energetic, at least, right, than someone who has this restless energy. Maybe there's someone, it looks like they're just sitting there, but if you look really closely, their hands are fists, their curls, mm. or their toes are curled under. Like, so I think it's really important when people say, well, you don't look anxious, you know, yeah. or, well, I couldn't tell, good for you. Like that doesn't mean that that's not what this person's experience is. Their mind may be going a mile a minute about all of the possible things to go wrong in five domains at any given time. Wait, other people do that? <laughs> yes. yes. 
I think you're talking to two of them. Yes. <laughs> I seriously legitimately asked my therapist that the other day. I was like, yeah. does other, is this, I, I hate the word normal, but am I the only Common. person who has these? Yeah. Like, how do you, how do I multitask that? I don't even right. know because I can't multitask in my life, but I can multitask worry. Right. Oh, for sure. My worry is multitasking on the reg. Yeah. Well, if you think about it, it's not bound Especially by time. Especially at 3 a.m. <laughs> Especially at 3 a.m. So there's, and you can there's see There's a criteria. They, they, you just yes, hit one. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> they, they all kind of go together check and, check. and they feed each other. Yeah. Oh, it's exhausting even thinking about it. <laughs> it is. And you know, it's so funny because I didn't realize I had anxiety for a yeah. while because right. my depression was because it was like you said there wasn't that like high energy that went right. along with it but I would get paralyzed and I would just sit and yes. and and freak the fuck out about yes. stuff like well, so that's the thing is is oftentimes people will conceptualize anxiety as this keyed up high energy state and depression as this kind of eeyore blah low energy state but that's not always true. We can have agitated depression. And like you just said beautifully, Sarah, anxiety, because of all of the thinking, can be paralyzing in terms of behaviors. And so then think we can have all of this going on in the same body. And I mean, it's just torture. So that is on a daily, right? And then mm -hmm. the things that happen at least for me, are the actual attacks. Like, so the anxiety attacks and panic attacks, yes. are you able to explain those out? Cause I just now realized that they're different. Well, exactly. So a panic attack or anxiety attack, as you know, a lot of people will call them has its own set of criteria. And this one you have to choose from a variety 13, actually different things. Um, and you have to have four or more of them. Most people have more than four. So palpitations, pounding heart or accelerated heart rate, sweating, trembling or shaking, sensations of shortness of breath or smothering, feelings of choking, chest pain or discomfort, nausea or abdominal distress, feeling dizzy, unsteady, lightheaded or faint, chills or heat sensations, paresthesias, that's numbness or tingling sensations usually in your extremities, derealization so feelings of unreality like is this really happening am i really here depersonalization being detached from oneself fear of losing control or going crazy that's one of the number one things that i think people report or ask am i crazy or am i going crazy and then fear of dying because it generally wow. feels so physical i mean think about it if we take just a few of these we know exactly why people go to the ER thinking they're having a heart attack and it's a panic yeah. attack and yeah. panic can fit just beautifully with generalized anxiety disorder or depression, or you can be lucky enough to have all of them together. <laughs> it's a fun ride. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I mean, I could take all of those off. Um, it, I don't know why it helps me though, to hear it from a like clinical standpoint. Yeah. It makes me feel less crazy. Um, yeah. but I, I think I have three ER visits Yep. and I, you know, even after, you know, it just like in the moment, you still think I'm definitely dying. Well, it's terrifying and it is so incredibly physical. And I think that that's something yeah. that's really important with anxiety disorders, panic, depressive disorders is I think sometimes people feel like it's all in my head 
So why do I feel it in my body? Well, first of all, it's not all in your head in terms of you're not making this happen. You don't want this to happen. So let's get away from that part of the language. But just because something might be psychogenic in nature doesn't mean it doesn't reside in the body, right? Our, our body is our container. That is where everything is. So it almost makes more sense to me that we have a physiological response, that we have, you know, sensations of you know, heart palpitations or like with depression, almost just sensations of heaviness, feeling like we're walking through mud. Why wouldn't we experience these things in the body where we live? Yeah, I think that's such an important distinction too, because for years, you know, I have suffered with these physical ailments that my doctors are like, you know, there's nothing wrong with you. You're mm -hmm. fine. And so I, I just, I hate the separation between yeah. mental health and physical health that exists today. I really wish that mental health professional, professionals and physical health professionals would, would work together and it would be like a sharing of files and, and right. medical yeah. records and knowing what's going on psychologically so that physically you can say, okay, we understand that you're having all of these symptoms. We've ruled out these physical mm -hmm. ailments that could possibly be wrong and detrimental to your health. Let's really focus on this in your psychological health. Right. And, see and what more happens. than just telling you you're stressed. Yes. <gasps> okay. I, I can't and that, reduce that, your stress. That's my yes, favorite thing my doctor has said so to me. I reduce mean, your stress. I spent all year since I had the sabbaticals going to doctors to make sure there wasn't anything physically wrong. Right. And that's all they say is, well, I mean, I think it's just stress. It's, no, it's not. I promise you it's something else. And so then I realized, you know, it's mental. Um, but I think that's a great idea, Sarah. Well, and it's, you're absolutely it's communicate. right. Yeah. Well, and I, I, I almost hesitate to say this because I – Notice I said almost, so it's coming <laughs> <laughs> per usual. Um, because I, 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 I want to stress that I know particularly PCPs are super busy, but you know, I was sarcastically laughing with a patient the other day because her PCP said, you know, they had never received anything from me, which is a load of bullshit because oh. every time I see a new patient. If I have their permission, I send a letter to the PCP introducing myself, saying, here are the – yes, that they, they came in for an evaluation on this date. Here are the diagnoses that you know I have given based on what they told in their initial interview um, and say something like, please let me know if there is any information you think I should have. Please be in touch. I send the signed release one time. One time I heard from a PCP and that was because they wanted me to sign off on a college student going abroad and there were some questions about suicidality. Wow. I, I suppose I could interpret that as they think I'm doing just fine and <laughs> I'll handle it. But <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> is, that, is that part of the norm or is that something just that you feel like you do? Well, I think I do it because I worked in a health system where we did it, but, but I would imagine, I, I think that's standard. I, th I think that's what everybody should be doing. Um, so I, it's really frustrating that it doesn't happen more. And I'm also going to throw out there that it could be an issue with not being paid for that time. 
to consult mm. and it might feel like there's so much to do and I don't think that's right either both that we're not doing things because they're not paid and that we're not paid for it that's where like red tape comes in and that's yeah. the the shit that bothers me more than anything we talked to several mental health professionals over when we were doing interviews and and they all said that their biggest trip up and their biggest thing that holds them back from being able to do exactly what they would want to do in their practice is red tape. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. That's and, why uh, I'm oh. on my own. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what you described that was an anxiety attack? Panic attack. Panic attack. Yeah. yeah. Are and, they the same? Just, yeah, I, I would say so. Yes. There's, there's, okay. if we look at, so we use this huge book that's about a thousand pages. Um, right. And by about, I mean like almost exactly the diagnostic and statistical manual of mental disorders. Um, the text revision of the fifth edition just came out. Uh, about a month ago, I'm still waiting for my latest copy, but that's what we use essentially to diagnose and get reimbursed so that people can use their insurance to be treated for these things. And so they would call it a panic disorder or a panic attack, but many people say anxiety attack. I think that's a colloquialism that most people would understand. I mean, I, I've only had a couple and, and you know, what's, it's funny too, with the talking about the relationship with body and mind is that how, how would we possibly, it's in the same vessel. Like how exactly. would we possibly expect those things to be so split? But we do because as a society, we have split mental health from mm -hmm. physical health. It is two different things according to, you know, general right. consensus yeah. and the way it's talked about. But how could you possibly well, expect those two things to be divided it, it, like right. that? It makes less sense that they would be separate than that they right. impact each other. I mean, and, and truly anxiety, people who have anxiety disorders are more likely to have other, you know, quote unquote, physical health disorders. They have more hospitalizations, whether it's for anxiety or not. They have more psychiatric hospitalizations, you know, more medical or physical health hospitalizations. And same with depression. Depression is the number one cause of disability in the United States. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, I was going to say that one of the reasons I think that it's hard at least for me to make that connection is that my attacks do not occur at the time of um, the stressor or whatever That's the right. big thing is. I handle the shit out of that. Mm -hmm. And then it could be days later. later and I am like, oh, I'm shit. I'm dying. Yeah. Like <laughs> it's almost as if your body processes it later than like your it's mind, lagging right yeah yes it, it's yeah. buffering remember we yeah. used to, used to yeah. have to wait forever for our video it, it, yeah I, I think you're exactly right amy and that's why it can be so disorienting because for some people here's the stressor here's the attack for other people it feels completely out of the blue and i will say yes. that usually what i find when i'm working with someone they tell me they've had a panic attack we, we try to work on it and see what happened it is often not completely out of the blue in terms of their thoughts. They'll have been thinking about that stressor mm -hmm. or what they just did. And the thoughts start to spiral many people's favorite word for describing this. And then mm -hmm. that's when we realize, Oh my God, I'm panting. And then, Oh, oh where'd my fingers go? Like it, it, it yes. just, you know, it, it just, I hate to say it this way. Cause I usually think of that as positive, but it flows from there. 
yeah, yeah, it does. And, you know, it's funny. It's like I didn't know that I was having anxiety symptoms either for a long mm -hmm. time because I think when you live with something and yes. it becomes a part of the way that your body responds to things, mm -hmm. it's hard to know, oh, I'm having an anxiety attack or, oh, I'm having yeah. a, an immense amount of anxiety. I can recall very important times in my life where I felt a lot of anxiety, you know, graduation, um, when I resigned from my corporate job, those kinds of things where I couldn't control my teeth chattering oh. and my teeth were like, chat and I'm like, what is wrong with me? I'm not cold. <laughs> like what is, yeah. I can remember it was like a day in August when I resigned from my job and I was shaking, physically shaking, ch teeth chattering, everything. I'm like, why am I so cold? And yeah. I was like, and I had goosebumps and I had all these things happening. And I mean, looking back now, I'm like, oh, I was having like a very strong anxiety response. Yep. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I didn't, I didn't know that. I just thought, and I was like, this happens to me a lot. Right. You well, know, yeah. like it was it just like, that was all that well, went because my head. in our brain, we normalize it because right. we don't want to be different or strange or sick. <laughs> right. <laughs> and sometimes when you tell somebody this, like, does your, do your teeth ever chatter yeah. when you do, and the people are like, no, you weirdo. Right. And you're like, oh, right. Yeah, totally. Mine neither. Oh, uh, well, it's, you know, it's so interesting. You hit on a couple great things there, Sarah. First of all, when something becomes part of our experience, we just go with it. We don't recognize it as something that doesn't have to be part of our experience. Yes. <laughs> and I will tell you, I have worked with so many people who, you know, they come in, maybe they've seen someone else. They have a depression diagnosis. Okay, fine. And then a few months in, I'll say, so I don't want to feel like this is piling on, but I think we have an anxiety disorder here too. And then when I start to say why a light bulb goes off and it's mm. like, Oh, because what happens is we start to think of it as that's just me. Yeah. Like, that's just what I do. And I, I yes. really encourage people to get away from that language. And I, I listen for it. When someone says that's just me, I always, I never, this just happens. Um, we start to work on, first of all, what are these things? Then I say, okay, let's get some distance from that. Because we know that when we, when something, so we sometimes think of symptoms as egosyntonic, feeling like part of us, and egodystonic, not part of us. So if we can get it to dystonic, we have a better chance of working with it. And I think language is a good way to do that. I will stop people when they say, my anxiety. I say, no, let's just call it anxiety. And then we get really kooky and say, okay, this feeling that is mm -hmm. arising right in the body, then we're not... I don't want to say we're not taking ownership of it. We're not identifying with it. So when we get that space, we can start to work with it a little bit differently. Wow. I just talked about that in our last episode, that that's been a huge distinction and a huge turning point for me with depression specifically, yep. but anxiety as well is detaching it from it being me yes. and part of me and taking it to an outside entity to say yes. like, this is not me. This is right. not a part of me. It's this thing that's affecting me mm -hmm. and I need to separate it from myself right, right now. Right. Right. I've even had people name it. I have one patient who, Bob, yeah. 
That was, it was Bob's here again. Son of a bitch, why is Bob back? What are we going to do about it? But we knew Bob was back because he was laying in bed most of the day. You know, yeah. tasks were very, very difficult. We'd say, damn that son of a bitch, let's get him out of here. Fucking Bob. Yes. Before, before we move on to Bob, aka depression, um, I had one more question for you. Is sure. that since I've ever was first diagnosed, so back to 18, this has been a very common symptom for me. And this is just me now being like, does anybody else feel this way? <laughs> um, <laughs> is during my attacks, I describe it, I've probably said it to Sarah, I say it to Mike all the time, is that my blood is boiling. Yeah. And oh I gosh. feel as though the skin on my body, like if you touch me, I, I might like, you're saying it. <laughs> I might kill you. Like if you touch, like if anything touches me and it's this feeling of like, I, I am so uncomfortable in yeah. my skin yeah. that I want to jump the fuck out. Yep. That is one of the most common things. Oh, and even, thanks. yes, see, <laughs> I guess we can't say you're normal, but this is a typical abnormal typical. response. Okay. 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 <laughs> and truly, and, and what's really funny is it can be opposites. It'll either be that boiling sensation or people will go almost completely cold and mm immobilized but that boiling kind of like I cannot I, I cannot talk about it without my hands yes that's what I was doing and yeah I mean Amy if it makes you feel any better I can remember being a teenager and punching my own hand to try to get that feeling out because I played piano yes. so I didn't want to punch a wall and hurt my hands because <laughs> somehow I was still like thinking about, well, I have other coping mechanisms that I'd like to be able to use. So let's not totally mess ourselves up by hurting our hands. But or even, I can remember my mom one time saying, what are you doing? And I was like, what? I was like clicking or snapping my toes because it just yeah. felt like there was all of this energy that needed to be removed from my body. Yes. Hit the nail on the head yeah. there. That's yeah. like, I feel that thousand percent I do too and but what I what bothers me the most is that I know what's going to help me is yeah. to get up and move but I can't well usually because of Bob because yes. yeah Bob is like well, we're not going anywhere <laughs> Bob is such I a just, mind fuck he yes says, he is because yeah, that thing that you think is going to help you I know you think it's going to help you but why don't you just stay in bed with me You'll just just that lay way. here and let it all hurt. Let your blanket. entire body just hurt. Yep. Oh, it's the worst. And so I think what I wanted to make sure that we touched on is that for those who do not suffer from this ailment, right. we'll call it, I guess, <laughs> things that you, you want to avoid saying to people who do. So is oh, that knowing Lord. that these, these things are, are real, they are real. They uh, affect you physically and, and mentally, as we've discussed. So like telling someone to just calm down, mm -hmm. snap out of it, snap out of it, telling someone just to chill out, telling yep. someone just reduce your stress, telling yeah. someone to, um, or the rationalizing, like, let's yes. just problem solve. Yeah. No, that's not going to help. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think too, something as simple as what do you have to worry about? Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Your life is so great. Uh, right. Uh, thank you for admiring how my life looks, right? But <laughs> because it could be worse. It could be worse. Oh, yes. Everything <laughs> happens for a reason. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I had to shake that one off. <laughs> and then right. it's so funny because all three of us are yogis, but 
have you tried yoga? <laughs> oh. oh my gosh. We're all, all three of us are like, yes, yes. bitch, we teach yes. us. Can you imagine what it would be like without it? <laughs> oh, I'm sure you guys saw the meme or maybe one of you posted it where someone's in, I, don't know, I think it's down dog and you can see the to-do list on the mat. Oh, uh, no. uh-huh. oh, I understand. I right. totally and the, feel and that. to-do list for, you know, could be things like, I couldn't see what it said on the meme, but probably like, oh my God, solve world hunger. And what about, like, <laughs> yes. right? Like, cause anxiety will dangle all of these little carrots in front of you. Why is no one doing anything about these million people who believe the cult that birds aren't real? Like we have to save these people. And <laughs> I went on a major one yesterday about uh, global warming. I was like, yeah. how are we going to stop this? Like, and these are real problems though. I mean, it happens with global warming, with racism, with, yes. with, um, you know, LGBTQ rights. Like these are the things, those I three things on yes. things like in that. particular are ones that, that play in my brain. And I have to say like, okay, <laughs> like right now in this moment, you cannot right. solve these problems. Yeah. <laughs> like, That's right. You just need to take a step back for a minute and, and reevaluate what's going on directly in the brick walls of your body and home <laughs> for a moment. <laughs> I know I have anxiety talking about anxiety. <laughs> yes. Well, yes. you know, actually, that is some, a question that we can ask people sometimes is, is there worry about worry? That's kind of a hallmark of oh, sure. generalized anxiety disorder. Or how about even wow. I'm not worrying enough? If I don't, if I don't worry about it, do I care about it enough? All things yeah. I've heard, you know, from people with generalized anxiety disorder. Or this fun thing that I used to do. I will say that I've therapy has I have moved past this, but in times of crisis, I want to go back. If I worry enough, I can stop it from happening. Right. Um, well, worry gives us this false sense of control <laughs> that we can somehow prepare. Yes, it's control, Katie. That's exactly it's, what right, it is. It's, right. It's, we think that somehow this worry about everything that can possibly go wrong. Yes. Play all the scenarios right, out. Right. So I will be prepared. Mm-hmm, well, guess what? Mm-hmm. Probably none of them are going to happen. So you've just wasted how much time and energy on it, right? And now your shoulders are up to your ears. Your hands are in fists. And you feel like shit. I have to like loosen my jaw right now. I'm like, oh, <laughs> shake it out, everybody. Oh, shake it out. Shake it out. <laughs> <laughs> Before we move on, everybody just shake your arms. Yeah, shake your arms. Please. Shake it out. Check your fingers yeah. and toes. I do that in the yeah. office. And I say, oh, I can't see your toes. And then someone giggles and I'm like, hmm. They must have been curled under. Okay. <laughs> yep. Yep. Okay. Let's move on to... Um, our friend depression, the friend depression who makes no sense to me until I'm in it, mm-hmm. which it's the and weirdest it's thing. It's a it sneaky bitch. So sneaky. You, I think for most people, you are well within the major depressive episode before you realize it is happening. And it's not till you're out of the major depressive episode that you can look back and say, holy shit, why? Did I not catch it when I, you know, realized that my refrigerator was still full, that I wasn't eating well, or, you know, when so-and-so said, Hey, you just don't seem like yourself today. How did it get to the point where I've been in bed for a week and a half? My kids will be the one that make me realize that I've actually come out of one. 
oh. because I'll, I'll be cooking dinner or doing something that I can't do when I'm in a major depressive disorder or right. uh, episode. And they'll be smiling at me or oh, I'm so glad you're down here. I'm so glad you're downstairs. Like, you know, they'll walk in, you're downstairs. And I'm uh, like, yeah. And they're like, you're just, you're never downstairs. You're always in your room. You're always upstairs. And that's when I'm like, oh, you know, and it just, crap. it breaks my heart. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, oh crap. I was really in it. I was really in it. But that highlights that dysfunction or disability piece, right? That there mm. is a distinct shift from what we generally do when we are in a major depressive episode. So shall we look at the we criteria Please. For, for our friend Bob or major depressive <laughs> let, disorder? Let, let's get in. Let's get into I think, it. And I think this is also important because it might seem nitpicky when you're seeing a new clinician and they're asking you these things. It's really just so we can make a good diagnosis. So five or more of the following symptoms have been present during the same two week period and represent a change from previous functioning. At least one of the symptoms is either depressed mood or loss of interest or pleasure. So number one, exactly that. Depressed mood most of the day, nearly every day, as indicated by either subjective report or observation made by others. So it might be that you're saying, I feel sad, empty, hopeless, or people have noticed you're really tearful. Um, and something that's really important in kids, this can look more like irritable mood. So that's really, yes, that's really absolutely. interesting. For, yeah. You, you really have to watch change in functioning with kids because kids can't say, I think I'm starting a major depressive episode or right. you know, even, <laughs> even say to say, I'm feeling sad because they might even say, well, nothing happened. Why would I be sad? And it just looks different to the parent or the people around them. So always watch for that. Um, so markedly diminished interest or pleasure in all or almost all activities, most of the day, nearly every day. I always ask people, you know, is there something that you usually do that you usually enjoy and you're either not doing it or you feel like you're just going through the motions? It's not bringing you that same joy. That's called anhedonia and it's one of the biggest parts of depression. Um, so the next one, significant weight loss when not dieting or weight gain, or a decrease or increase in appetite nearly every day. So this one's interesting too. We see the opposites here. You might lose weight, you might gain weight. And so it can look really, really different. Usually we think of a more typical depression being sleeplessness, loss of appetite, weight loss, but many people get, well, we're getting there. Actually, so that takes us to the next one. We'll put them together. Insomnia or hypersomnia nearly every day. Many people will sleep more, eat more. And also if you're sleeping more, eating more, then you're gaining weight. So depression mm -hmm. can be either one of those. Then we have another set of opposites, psychomotor agitation or retardation nearly every day. I can remember one of the most just perfect cases of an agitated depression I ever saw. I was in my office when I was at a big health system and a guy came in after a hospitalization and you know, his hands were in fists and he kept moving his arms and he looked at me and he said, I just feel like I need to move. And I said, how about you get up and walk around the office? You do not need to sit while I'm asking you these questions. Whereas other people, you'll see them slumped in the chair, can barely move, maybe want to lie down. Either one of those can happen with depression. Then we have fatigue or loss of energy nearly every day. Here's one of the biggest ones, feelings of worthlessness or mm -hmm. excessive or inappropriate guilt. 
when people will say, you know, I feel guilty. And I'm like, you know, and I think what's interesting is anybody from the outside looking in would say, guilt? What? You didn't do anything is usually the thing, but I feel it. Next is diminished ability to think or concentrate or indecisiveness nearly every day. Recurrent thoughts of death. And it's not necessarily a fear of dying. It might be things like, oh, maybe I just won't work, wake up tomorrow. Wouldn't that be nice? So more passive thoughts of death or even, you know, suicidal ideation, maybe with or without a plan all the way to suicide attempt. So then of course we have that these symptoms cause clinically significant distress or impairment across domains. And it's not attributable to the physiological effects of a substance or to another medical condition. So, I mean, we think about this, if we have someone who is not sleeping, keyed up, they have that agitation, they're not eating, that looks really different than the person who is sleeping a lot, who is eating and saying, you know, I'm feeling guilty about everything. And they are both depression. So I think the really important thing is to never, ever, ever assume that someone is not depressed or does not, actually I don't like the language is not depressed, is not experiencing depression because it doesn't look the way you think it should or the way you experience it. Just be with them. 100%. <laughs> I think it's, you know, it's it's being more widely shared now on social media, um, you know, people showing things like if your friend is smiling and having a good time with yes. you, they can still be depressed. If they're joking around, it doesn't mean that their depression is gone. You know, there, there are coping mechanisms and there are ways to be like, okay, I mean, I, I do it regularly where I'm like, all right, I have to gear myself up. I know I have this event going on tonight. So I am going to get myself mentally prepared to plaster on a smile yep. and talk to people. And then I go home and I'm just like, oh my, that was the most exhausting, ridiculous right. three hours of my life. And I need to sleep for two for days. For three to days. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I think, you know, people will talk about high functioning depression and that's not an actual diagnosis in the DSM, but there are many people walking around with a major depressive disorder or another depressive disorder who are going through every moment looking like they're doing it effortlessly while they feel completely empty, hollow, hopeless, guilty, etc. So true because you can put on lipstick and have <laughs> a cute outfit on and be in a majorly depressive state. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's just a and coping mechanism that I've started that, you know, that I've like figured out. Um, right. It just helps me get by until it gets through. Yeah. I mean, I there through. is a little bit, I think sometimes of fake it till you make it with depression. Yes. And sometimes that does help get us out of it. Sometimes I think that can actually make it even worse because then we're mm -hmm. walking around saying, holy shit, no one sees this. Mm -hmm. Nobody can recognize. And of course we're doing everything we can to make sure that they don't, but there's that part of us that wants to be seen, that wants so the true. struggle to be recognized. You know, I think too, sometimes we just don't know. I'm thinking back on my life in corporate and how hard I worked. I mean, I worked my ass off period just in the job. 
but I also worked my ass off to be a normal person. Yeah. And, and so when I would come home at night, it was like, I couldn't, I was so tired. I would spend my weekends just sleeping. Cause mm -hmm. it was like, I was so exhausted from being a quote air quotes, normal human being in front of everybody that it was like this, the weekends, I didn't even get a chance to rest and recharge because it was just like, I needed to, to just get to a normal point. Like my battery getting to like a, right. a regular neutral. space again, mm -hmm. like neutral again. And I, but I didn't know that that was depression at the time. Looking back, right. I know I was, I've been depressed for years, but looking, I mean, you know, hindsight right. 2020. Well, and also I think it's, it's, it's part of that same thing that you talked about earlier, Sarah, is it starts to feel like this is just my life. This is just my experience. And so first of all, it's, it's just how it is. And we don't generally, as someone said earlier, go around talking about it. Like, Hey, do you need to sleep for three days after one day of work? Like, <laughs> no, I guess like what, what is the, what is something to help with that? Because as Sarah was describing that, that makes me realize what's different about this year for me is that I haven't had to fake it on days that, right. excuse me, that, um, I'm not okay. I, or I've only had to do it for like an hour if we had an interview right. or something. And then I could like just fall apart afterwards. Um, when I am teaching, I have to fake it so hard that there is, it's it. I'm done after that. So yes, like that's not a thing that people can do is be like, can I work for a day and then have three days of sleep? Right. Um, how do you handle that? Oh gosh, that is such a good question. And it is so hard. And I really think, so something I hate that has happened, I think in our culture is the way self-care has been thrown around as like, go get your nails done. Um, right. Right. Go get a massage. Those can be self-care. They're wonderful. And now that I've said, go get a massage, I would love to have one. Um, <laughs> but really think about what is self-care for you? Plug it in to your day every stinking day. Take care of yourself. I often work with people who experience depression by saying, how would you treat, you know, your most cherished, beloved person? in this situation, could you please treat yourself this way? And usually they say, no, I don't value myself like that. And I say, okay, what would it look like if you did, you know, how would you start your day? What could we plug in at lunchtime? And especially if you know, if you're looking at a day and it, it, it just looks overwhelming, schedule something in the middle of it or every hour, even if it's just to stop and breathe and ground so that you mm -hmm. have a moment of not performing, of not pushing through. Those little moments can actually be more powerful and recharging than we think because we don't do them. So we say that's never gonna work. But if you do them regularly, and I, and I think too, self-care is something that everybody should be doing all the time. Yeah. And it has to be well-practiced because Bob will tell you the fuck you will when you say, I'm going to do this. It's like, no. In the middle yes. of a major depressive episode. Yeah. It has to be already in your mm -hmm. like things of things that you just do automatically. Absolutely. It's such a good thing point that you're making and, and something that I'm seeing more often and that I have to just tell myself is it's like, 
it doesn't have to be grand gestures. It doesn't nope. have to be making, like you said, like booking a massage. To me, that's a grand gesture. Like mm -hmm. that's taking time out of my day, paying the extra money, driving somewhere. Have, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. I'm like, that's a lot of work. Yeah. And to me, like that's overwhelming. Right. But like making these small little things throughout the day, like I, so I got this new planner and I'm going to do like a shameless plug here. It's not a sponsor, but I would love for it to be. It's called Silk and Sonder. And in one of the things it had you make your own bingo for the month. Oh, wow. And so like on the bingo squares in like two of them, I put scream into a pillow <laughs> and I've never done that before. And I was like, you know what? And I tell my kids to do it though, because they're, they get frustrated and they have mm -hmm. the energy and then they like either want to scream or jump up and down or whatever. So I'm like, scream into a pillow. That's okay. You know, go into your, your space and do that. So I was like, I'm going to give this a try. And so I screamed into a pillow and I was like, Oh, that is glorious. <laughs> I'm doing that some more. And so I did it for like a full minute. I was just like screaming into this pillow and screaming, screaming. And then I realized I'm like, Oh my God, my window's open. I should probably close that real quick. <laughs> but I actually slept better that night. Yep. And I felt this release of this stuff that I didn't even know was like stuck yeah. inside my body. Absolutely. And it was like these small things, these little things that may even sound stupid, mm -hmm. but if you can do these small things every day, then, you know, you're, it's easier to manage. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the small things add up. Right. We, because right. we're, we're bigger now, impact. Even if we're exactly. Even if we're taking 30 seconds of every hour just to stop and breathe. When we add that up over the course of the day, we've had some downtime. I mean, mm -hmm. I would really love for people to take more than 30 seconds, but if that's <laughs> all you think you can do, or even like, I tend to want to max out like, okay, so if I can do this, like I might be working on a yoga playlist in the car not while my child is with me, but you know, looking, okay, hit, add that to this playlist, add that. So sometimes I just won't have music on in the car and I have to just sit and breathe and focus on everything I should be focused on. And that is incredibly helpful for me. That's been a tough one for me because I'm such a, like a, a music person mm -hmm. and I find a lot of healing in music and it's really good therapy for me, but sometimes I just need to shut it off yep. and not have anything going because I've had too much going all day. So then like turning the music off and just driving in the car, cracking the windows and breathing. And, yeah. and, and it's been this huge shift for me, um, since I've grown up blasting music in my car since I can remember Like that's right. just, yeah. you know, kind of how I rolled. <laughs> well, I think something interesting with that too, is just the sensory overload that we can have yeah. all the time with just bombardment of, you know, sensation. So it might be hearing things, seeing things. Now it sounds like I'm describing, um, psychosis. I am not things that are actually in front of us. But if we take a break from all of that, and just have, you know, a calm house for a while. My husband will have music on all the time. And when I come home from work, I'm like, 30 minutes, please, please, just quiet. <laughs> and it just feels better to me. Because it, it, I will get, like you, Sarah, I love music. I'll get sucked in. And I need some space from it sometimes. I think, to a shift um, to something that you don't normally do, right? So I yes. am a news junkie. Um, 
in terms of the daily and all of the podcasts of that. And it was just too much for me. It was too much input. And I was just like starting to shake. So I have rented, <laughs> rented? That's not what it's called anymore. It is. Well, that, what is it called? Was this 1996? I went to Blockbuster <laughs> and I checked out. No, I did the online library thing. Oh, okay. And oh, Libby. You, I checked out Libby yeah. and I checked out books that were um, like rom-com beach reads. Yeah. And yeah. so there is nothing in that they could possibly like it's like I don't know like I'm just like they're all like beachy things too and so I'm always in this other place when I am um, listening to them and so that's what I've been doing now driving and when I take my walks because I can't take any more news I just I, I really oh my gosh I try to just do one of those a day but so yeah I mean I am not haven't gotten to the part yet where I can just be quiet but Lisa Mon rom-coms. Absolutely. <laughs> it, is, it is a nice progression I see happening. I'm getting there. Okay. Getting there. Yes. Yes. So can you just talk to us for just a couple of minutes about the relationship between depression and anxiety I, I, and what so that I'm, can look like? Absolutely. So as I've said, I, I see them as super closely related. We can go from cousins to Siamese twins somewhere in there. But what's really interesting is they feed each other. And I think in terms of, you know, the thoughts and they're, so what will happen is they compound each other. If you have anxiety and depression at the same time, they are probably both more severe. So why does that happen? I'm not really sure. I've heard some people say, well, you know, anxiety feels future oriented. We're always worried about something in the future, whereas depression is often rehashing things from the past. It's past oriented. So it's kind of a way to never be present if we're always thinking oh it, right gosh. about the future or the past. So in Holy some ways, light bulb. Yeah, in some ways, it's almost an avoidance of what's happening right now. I don't think this is an active avoidance. I don't think people want to experience anxiety or depression, but that is what happened or what happens. So Another thing to think about is they are both generally positively impacted by the same interventions like SSRIs, so selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. So there's something with serotonin with both of them. Both of them we treat with talk therapy. So they are somehow really, really connected. And I think too, the thoughts can be very similar the way, um, they progress, they spiral. If we look at cognitive distortions, like catastrophizing, like personalizing, that can happen in an anxious way or a depressive way. They're almost just two sides of the same coin. It's, am I going forward today or am I going back? And it's, it's just wild because then we spend all of this time thinking these thoughts and then experiencing the emotions and like the, the physical ramifications in our body. And I don't want to say none of it's real because we feel it all. It is very real. It is valid, but it's not because of something else present. So who knows? Is it a past? It could be a past trauma. It could be our you know family of origin. It could just be some sort of genetic predisposition to thinking this way. And I often tell people the why really isn't so important. It's the what, the how, and then what we do with it. That's Ooh. interesting. Wow. I'm having, a, I'm having a, an epiphany right now, sort of about my own diagnoses with both of these. And that 
my biggest tie between the two of them is self-worth because self-worth can go on both of those spectrums so easily. Like your self-worth can be so closely tied to anxiety because it's like, well, I can't do anything right. And, you know, I'm feeling anxious about this and, and then I can't do anything right. And I'm feeling very depressed and sad about this. That's such a, a close tie for me there. And so that's like, Ooh, that's a, that's a good thing. And I, and the, and the second thing that's really coming to my mind is that I think that's why there's this big push for mindfulness right now. Yes, absolutely. being mindful is being present in the present moment. Right. And that is why there's so much science behind why being mindful is so beneficial for anxiety and depression. Absolutely. Because right now in this moment, I'm doing something I love. I'm with the people I love. Nothing is wrong. Right. Everybody's where they need to be. Everything's fine. But as we're having this conversation, I could be thinking about like, you know, a million other things, or I could be doing this, or I could be doing that. And, or thinking about the past, like something you said made me think about something with Scott and then, you know, and my brain, but instead I should like put my feet on the ground and be like, no, I'm right here in this conversation where all is well. Right. And I don't, I, I know to do that, but I don't necessarily do that enough. Right. Well, and I think too, people get really intimidated by the idea of mindfulness um, or meditation, that it has to be this discrete thing that we do sitting on our cushion. We, the three of us are engaged in a mindful practice right now because of exactly what Amy just said. We are so fully engaged with each other, with the content, with the present moment that I wholeheartedly believe this is mindfulness. So when you're cooking, cook the shit out of whatever you're cooking. (laughs) That is mindful. Yes. When you're running, feel right foot, left foot. I mean, I don't know what it feels like because I fucking hate to run, but sometimes I'm (laughs) saying, amen, sister. (laughs) When you're walking, okay? (laughs) Yes, yes, exactly. You know, feel the breeze, see the trees, hear the birds. It's so funny. I, as I said that, I thought about my grandmother who was not a mindfulness practitioner in any way. She was a wonderful woman and being in the car with her and, you know, I was probably a teenager. We were probably going to the beach and I was probably depressed and anxious and annoyed with everybody. (laughs) And she called me Kata and she'd go, Kata, look at the trees. And I, of course, had no idea what she was doing and was like, trees. And now what the fuck do I do? I look at the trees. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes when I am driving, that's that's part of, I think driving can be Absolutely. such a mindful activity too, if you shut the music off. I mean, you can still mm-hmm. have the music on actually and be focused on the song. But like when I shut the music off, I've got the windows down. I listen to the breeze. I it's This is going to sound silly, but like the turn signal sound Absolutely. and then the sound of the engine like starting up and t- when I'm at a stoplight going, t- starting to drive again and just hearing those certain sounds and focusing on them is that's that's why it's so healing for me. That's why yeah. I feel better when I just like shut it off and, and drive and focus on what's going on around me. Right. And I think it's Light important. Bulb. That's right. why you're my driver. <laughs> well, and when we do this, it also shows us, I don't, I can't think of a better word than control. I wish there was one, but we do have some control over this because we can ground, we can be mindful. And so many times people will say, I can't control my thoughts. It just happens. Okay. It does. 
But first of all, let's not call them your thoughts. There's always that first one that just pops in, right? You didn't plan that. You didn't come up with it. You can respond with your second thought. It might be an answer to it or with not a thought at all. You know, as Amy said, ground your heels down. Feel the air on your skin. And that brings you right to now. Whereas Amy said earlier, nothing's wrong. Such good bits of information and realizations and all, all the good stuff. So let's say that you get these diagnoses. Mm-hmm. Is that the right way to say that word? Yes. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Um, what are some treatments, possible treatment plans that could go in place for someone who um, is has an anxiety disorder or depression or both? Right. So chances are you have both, right? If you have one, you probably have the other. Obviously, I'm join our beautiful club. Yes. Yes. Welcome to the family. We welcome you. Literally millions of people. And you know, what's interesting is I've had this conversation with patients a lot where both of these disorders lead to us feeling isolated. And in that isolation, we are connected to literally millions of people feeling the same way. We're just not talking to them about it. So there's that. And I said, that's number one thing. Look at it as connecting you to all of these millions exactly. of people. This is, this is why it's so important to talk about this because mm-hmm. the hilarity, which was not hilarious when it happened, of right. how my um, employer thought that I was dangerous because of my generalized anxiety disorder mm-hmm. and depression diagnoses and Ugh. said that maybe I was going to harm people. <laughs> Oh, my um, gosh. First of all, I wanted to be like, your entire staff is, but okay. You're like, um, I waited 43 years without doing something to someone. Also, like, there's millions of us. It's not like I just got this diagnosis yesterday <laughs> and whatever. Like, you just found out about it. And there are millions of people walking It's around. all of us. Yeah, and it's probably you. for you. No, I'm just Exactly. <laughs> so it's so important that we just say it because, gosh, like – it's it, oh god <laughs> i can't oh, even stand it but um that you know, gets me revved up it gets me real revved up because Same. to come out and to share that is very felt very brave and vulnerable right. of me and i felt as though i was taking care of myself which i do agree i, I don't want to say felt i feel as though i did the right thing and, absolutely you know let the cards fall as they may but the ignorance and I say that like in the right way, not the Pittsburgh mm-hmm. way. <laughs> um, <laughs> if you're not from Ignor. Pittsburgh, we use that for like Ignor. everything. That ignorant, like they're rude. <laughs> yeah, but, um, the ignorance, ignor. the a- the actual <laughs> ignorance of the people who made those assumptions about me because of that diagnosis is unbelievable. And so these are the kind of things that I want us to put out there so that people can realize one, you're not freaking alone. And two, right. you're not dangerous. God, please. No. Like, no. <laughs> I mean, and that's the thing is people will, one of the things people will worry about, am I crazy? Am I going to hurt somebody? I'm like, you're worried about it. So no, no, <laughs> you're not. Oh yeah. goodness. But truly I, I do think that's, that's a great place to start. And I'm completely biased towards therapy. I mean, we've all found it to be wonderful. And I think that is your first step. And maybe, you know, seeking a med consultation. It could be with Mm -hmm. a psychiatrist, with the PCP, because while I'm, I certainly don't push medications. Medications can be very helpful, especially when you are in the throes of something. It can help you maybe slow down the thoughts, start to feel a little better, 
but always please go to therapy too so that you can really look at things and start noticing your patterns and you know maybe some signals that you might be in a major depressive episode or that you've just come out of one so that you can look back through it and then truly something that is really wonderful for both is behavioral activation now that's where bob's gonna come in and say fuck you go back to bed (laughs) but just getting up and moving you know going for a walk maybe doing yoga a bike ride it's almost always helpful to do that and try to stay engaged with the people you love the most, who are the most helpful in those situations. Mm -hmm. So sometimes the people we love the most are not the most helpful when we are in a major depressive episode. Stick by the ones who know what to do and how to help you. That's really good advice. And I'm going to overstep from the, I'm unqualified here. So Katie, please jump in (laughs) as the qualified. Um, I would say from my personal experience, my family's friends that I've seen, if you can get your meds from a psychiatrist to go that route. I've seen a lot of miss, um, I don't know, like miss meds or something. I don't Mm -hmm. want to say misdiagnosis, but like to, to get the right medication, it takes tweaking. It takes time. It takes, um, I've just seen people say like, oh, that didn't work for me. And then they're done. Right. Or, or it's like they had a misdiagnosis and then it like, you know, for example, um, I can go all the way back. Uh, Scott got <laughs> Adderall, I believe, or Ritalin, Ooh, one of those. Oh, gosh. Because they said he had ADHD instead of bipolar disorder. Oh, my God. And that's um, that just threw him into mania, right? That's an that's incredibly, right. like, all the way out in left field example. That is not something that happens all the time. I'm talking more like just the wrong antidepressant or something yes. like that. Um I know psychiatrists are hard to find and they're also like, they can be a little bit, I don't know. They only have five minutes for you, which is why you do therapy too. Um, But if you can find the right one, I finally found one. um, Then it is a beautiful thing. I think it's a nice thing to marry with your therapist, you know, put them together. You're exactly right because a PCP can prescribe medications and I have seen some PCPs do great with it. But also what I've seen is oftentimes the dosage is actually not high enough, particularly of an SSRI. And I'm not qualified to tell you that, but I might say, maybe we should go see a psychiatrist. So remember that that is a specialty. They have spent an additional at least four years as a resident learning specifically about psychiatry. So they're going to know more. And I think the other thing, since we're talking about it, is to understand that oftentimes that first medication is not the right one. They'll start maybe with the right class of drug, usually an SSRI, Mm -hmm. if we're talking about anxiety or depression, but Lexapro might work for you and Celexa might work for Sarah. And I have no idea if what meds Amy and Sarah might be on, but just throwing (laughs) two out there that are closely related. And we don't really know why one is going to help one person and one is going to help the other. But the biggest study on antidepressants showed that only 30% of people had a positive response to the first SSRI. Hmm. And sometimes it's a, it's um, taking a couple and putting yep. them together at different dosages yep. and then playing that out of how to make that work and, you know, tweaking it that way. That's, I just happen to have found this like nice place right now. And yeah. it's not just one, it had to be two and then it had to be a lesser and then a more. It was very, it's a very, um, when you're depressed, when you have anxiety, it can be a very tedious, shitty process, but 
stick with it. Stick with it. Absolutely. And how, how long did it take you to get there? Um, I just started that um, a couple years ago. So I've been taking medication since I was 18. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it really does take time. And it's not that those medications along the way didn't help, but I'm at a place now where um, big, big, huge attacks and big, huge depressive episodes do not occur. The medication isn't going to take it away. I I just, I feel like that's another important thing is like, you're not going to be like magically better. No. You still have to do all the other things, folks. Exactly. Medication (laughs) is not going to change. It just gives you that edge. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I think it's also something, you know, I'm glad you asked about what is the treatment. And there's something that I wish I would have said. So I'm going to say it now is that less than 40% of people who have a diagnosable anxiety disorder or depressive disorder actually seek treatment. Oh, wow. Yeah, so that is really, really sad. And I think the average amount of time it takes to seek treatment, once you've identified there is a problem, is 11 years. Wow. And wow. I think that is, per- I, I don't think I'm misspeaking. And I think it's particularly with anxiety disorders. And, and think about it though. If, if you are experiencing anxiety, it is difficult to make an appointment, you know, start, reach out to people to do all of these things. And it's difficult with depression. So it kind of makes sense. And I would just urge anybody who thinks any little part of this sounds and feels familiar to just try, please try something, please try to get help. And I find too, it's easier for people to just self-medicate with whatever there is around. And that's an easy fix that doesn't work forever. Right. Um, so, you know, you, you know, you do what you have to do when you need to do it, but it's not long-term. Right. And self-medication, I think it's important to distinguish that if you're saying, well, I don't, you know, drink two bottles of wine when I get home every night. It doesn't have to be drinking nope. or drugs. It can be shopping. It can be excessively cleaning. It can right. be, you know, it can be that whole like, um, what, what is it that we talked about? I said was like worse than I said it was the most addictive thing. And that's like the... Um, Dopamine hits. The dopamine hits of like getting everything yeah. done and being oh, and, and being busy, Just busy. Going, That's what it is. Going, Just be going, busy. Going. Yes, no, I, right. I, I, there's actually not to plug my own self, but I ended up writing a piece <laughs> at Elephant Journal early pandemic called "From Going to Knowing," realizing that all of my going, 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 going was to avoid all of this. Yes, to not acknowledge I was super close, maybe in a major depressive episode for the first time in like 10 years, because I was going, 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 going. I didn't have to stop and look at it. That's right. Right. And that, and I'm glad you said that, Sarah, because that is another, there's just so many ways that we self-medicate and that busyness and that like, I, I've got my shit together. I did that for a long time. Mm -hmm. And Sarah and I talk about that a lot in um, our origin story and how we started. And we realized it just doesn't fucking work. Nope. Long-term. Nope. It right. will not. It will kill you. It will kill you in one way or another. Exactly. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> There's a downer from our friend Bob. I know, right? <laughs> and yeah. <laughs> Please come back oh, for more. Yeah. <laughs> Don't let it do that. <laughs> no, we really do hope that this helped you to understand anxiety and depression a little bit better, to understand that you are... Amongst great company, 
Yeah. And, um, Welcome. We think we're great. <laughs> Welcome to the club. We think we're awesome. Yes. We should get pins for everybody. <laughs> we should. And then when you're walking down the street, you can be like, high five. Hey, hey. high yes. five. Yes, exactly. And you know that you, ha- you have a little bit of more knowledge. Maybe it's not you. Maybe you are one of the people who this does not affect, but it affects your partner or it affects a coworker or, you know, a parent or a child or something of that nature. And you can help them a little bit more or um, better or effectively. Yeah. Effectively. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Sarah. <laughs> but I, I think I just want to say that our biggest goal here is to remove the fear and remove the stigma yes. surrounding all of these. So we have currently three more coming up. And um, we're not sure where we're going to go from there, but we're not letting her go that we're not letting her go that easy because it is knocking on your door like my friend Bob, if you try, (laughs) (laughs) because I know that it's so important to have the unqualified with the qualified. And hopefully this conversation had the right amount of, um, you know, because Katie, you're just perfect for this because you're quirky like us and a little bit silly, but enough information that it really did help you. Thank you so much. We really appreciate you. And we can't wait for our next conversation. This episode was brought to you by Sarah Simone and Amy Baumgartner. Theme song and other music provided by Epidemic Sound. Editing and production by Sarah Simone. To help us keep making episodes just like this, join our fan club at patreon.com dot com slash unqualified therapists inc follow us on instagram at unqualified therapists where you will find our link tree to all things here at the ut if you have a story to tell or a topic you'd like us to discuss email us at unqualified therapists at gmail.com until next week warrior hold on we're gonna make it Yeah, my warrior.